Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to yet another Empire Podcast interview special. This one is dedicated to a fascinating chat I had earlier this week with the legendary musician Amir Thompson, perhaps better known as Questlove, about his directorial debut, the excellent documentary Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. It's an account of the Harlem Cultural Festival, which was an event that took place in the Harlem community of New York across several Sundays in the summer of 1969. And despite attracting crowds of around 300,000 people, and despite featuring artists like Stevie Wonder, Sly and the Family Stone, The Fifth Dimension, Nina Simone, B.B. King, and many, many more, it was overshadowed significantly by Woodstock, which also took place that summer and became a cultural touchstone, while the Harlem Community Festival became little more than a rumour, scarcely believed even by people who actually attended. Even when it was nicknamed Black Woodstock, the needle barely moved on the cultural dial. In fact, Questlove hadn't even heard of it until a few years ago when he was in Japan and someone showed him footage of the festival, sparking in him a desire to chronicle this incredible happening. But when he sat down to assemble the 40 hours of footage that existed of the festival, he found his goals and his aims changing. What emerged is an astonishing documentary that is at once... A celebration of music and the incredible artists who performed there that summer. It's a time capsule of sorts, but it's also a timely movie, at times eerily so, about the black experience and black history. And in our wide-ranging chat, Questlove, who was in the dressing room he uses as his base for his day job, being the band leader slash drummer of The Roots, the amazing band that operates as Jimmy Fallon's in-house group, He talks about the notion of black joy and the notion of black erasure, which goes some way to explaining why Woodstock was hailed as a phenomenon whilst the Harlem Cultural Festival gathered dust on a shelf somewhere and the memories of it faded, even as I say, for those who were there. Those memories will no longer fade thanks to Summer of Soul, which is now on Disney+, and which has been nominated for Best Documentary at both the BAFTAs and the Oscars, and in my opinion, would be a very worthy winner. Here's my chat with Questlove. Do please enjoy. We are delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the director of Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised, the one and only Questlove. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How Excellent. are you? I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. I have to say, you have one of the best backgrounds of any interviewee I've, I've interviewed in the last few months. <laughs> what is going on there? No, I'm at my uh, office right now at uh, 30 Rock at the tonight show with jimmy fallon so <laughs> uh, my my home you know my my my, my uh, space here has to be my refuge so i have a rather creative looking um dressing room amazing so is this something that you have tailored over the years yeah you know i've been here for for 12 years now so i might as well make it my home i mean you know we have two dressing rooms one of the dressing rooms is that our actual recording studio Okay. So in the beginning, it was a little weird to change your clothes and also remix a song for the next single off your album and work on Hamilton at the same time. But <laughs> you get used to it. Uh, it's the cross you have to bear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Amazing. Amazing. I, I've never had that problem with you, believe Questlove. I've, uh, it's never, it's, 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 for some reason, it's never, never troubled me. I'm resourceful. I'm resourceful. Congratulations, first of all, on, on the Oscar and BAFTA nominations. Thank you. Uh, how does that feel, first of all? 
Um, this is, it's the most foreign feeling in the world to me because normally I'll say that in um, maybe pre-pandemic, I really didn't allow myself to what I, what I thought was being cautionary, like get caught in celebrations and things like get my hopes up high and, you know, that sort of thing. I was one of those artists, you know, those artists are too cool for school. Like they're so unaffected and, oh, oh, what's an Oscar nomination, huh? Like it, it, it was somewhere in between that and just uh, maybe protecting myself. I'll say that I've had a sea change in the last two years in which um, I've, I've been in the practice of, I guess you could call it opening my heart more and enjoying things and not being too cool for school and letting, letting people, uh, you know, express love to me and I, I not deflect it, you know? Yeah. Um, Cause I always thought that was such a noble thing for an artist to do, like to be unaffected and to be aloof, to scoff. Yeah. Just like, Oh, I don't care about those things. I'm, I'm a real artist. And you know, that's any artist you really hear say that, um, you know, is I think to numb yourself emotionally and to be an artist is a dangerous mix. So I think I'm just at the stage of my life now where, um, I guess at 50, I'm, I'm learning to be happier and, mm. and enjoy things. So that all that said was I'd, I'd never knew that this part of the process even happens. Like I didn't, it's not like I was like, I'm the guy that worked on Hamilton, which is basically the thriller of Broadway's, you know what I mean? And I couldn't even dream that big that, you know, you're going to work on one of the most popular, you know, Broadway productions of all time, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, so that said, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I've decided to this time around celebrate because you, you don't get your, no one gets their first movie experience twice. So with my first book and my first record and my first day I taught college and the first day of shooting television, like I've had a lot of first in my life. And I've never really cherished them. So I'm, I'm going to cherish this one. Determined to cherish it, and, and quite rightly so as well. And of course, you you are, when you attend the Oscars in a couple of weeks, it's fascinating to me that you're, you're coming at it from a different POV now, because having been, of course, the musical director in the last couple, that must have given yeah, you an insight. I was going to say, uh, not only was I the musical director last year, some people even said that I was the de facto host because I was the last person, the person that says good night. Thank you very much. And that was the 2021 Oscars. Good night. Like that person is technically the host. And since we didn't have a host last year, I was probably the most consistent factor of the uh, of the proceedings. So and the last thing I did was show a preview of the movie I directed, which I'll say last year was very weird because um I often keep projects to the chest um, because I do a lot. I accept a lot of things and I do a lot of projects and some of them happen and some of them don't happen at the last minute. Hmm. So with this, I think I treated this movie almost like a, almost like a diet, you know, like when you don't want to announce 
on the first, everybody I'm on it that, you know, because then they'll be the first people to be like, Hey, what happened? Yeah. Like, you know, if you start cheating on the diet or whatever. So I kept this movie extremely close to the hip um, in the two and a half years that I was working on it. Like, unless you were like an industry trade person, um, I didn't do much. I didn't talk about it as much on my social media or to my friends. So, Oh, really? So, so who knew? When we cut, right. When we cut to commercial, my, my entire uh, phone was just blown up. Like, wait a minute. Did you just announce on the Oscars that you directed a movie <laughs> for Disney Searchlight? <laughs> How come you didn't tell me? Yeah, it was, it was, it was like that. So, uh, so there was, there was a sense of, of, of wow, but also a slight betrayal from your friends. <laughs> like, why could, why, yeah, why could you not share yeah. this with me? You can only imagine, and I have a lot of friends that are, you know, in the acting world that I didn't tell. And, you know, so it was, it was a very weird, awkward. I remember how I felt when, like, friends that I knew from other parts of my life were now like, hey, you know, I got an album out right now. You know, like, I, I once dated a girl who never told me that she was a classical pianist. <laughs> and uh, I accidentally left my cell phone in my hotel room, which happened to have a piano in it. And she was like, she's still like Rachmaninoff or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> I came in the room and was like, wait, what are you? You didn't tell me this for two years that you now play classical piano? Like, it's, it's that sort of thing, so. You talked there about, you know, you're you're opening your heart a little bit more, and I think that is reflected in the in the documentary, which is you know is 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 incredible. You know, it's got this wonderful heart to it. I've read and heard and heard the story about how you saw this footage for the first time, this forty hours of footage of the Harlem Cultural Festival, and you're and you're yeah. working your way through it. And I'm fascinated to know at what point you re- you decided to make the documentary in the format that it's in because it would have been the easiest thing in the world to just do a concert video to do a right. concert documentary and you and you don't do that you do this all-encompassing uh you know almost state of the nation uh of of black culture throughout the the, the decades and that's fascinating to me yeah so i'll say that in the very very beginning yes i was trying to do just the best 17 song mixtape i could do like um <laughs> But the one thing that helped me back from that was because of the weather inconsistency. You know, some days yeah. it'll be like a heat wave and the next week it's like a, a, a thunderstorm. And the next week it's it's chilly and the next week it's sunny. And, the ne- you know, so there was a lot of inconsistency to just make it seem like it was the same day. Um, but then there was a moment where, you know, we're editing this um with absolutely no context whatsoever so there's no one to be sort of a a a guide to let me know okay so on this day this happened that day that so in watching the footage this is where questions start arriving and something happens um with our talking heads i decided to at least see if there's some talking heads that attended the concert to see if they can fill in some blanks for me and we heard a rumor that um, that by the time Stevie Wonder gets on stage, um, there's a joke about the moon landing and the audience starts to boo. <laughs> and right then and there, that was that was instant eyebrows raising 
moment. Like, wait a minute, we got to, I got to find out why they did that. And it just so happens that uh, when we put feelers or requests out there for like our research team to find reactions to the Harlem, I mean, to the moon landing, that they went straight to the Harlem Cultural Festival to, you know, get opinions on on the moon landing. And I was rather shocked. I grew up in the time period where that was celebrated. Yeah. You know, my teachers and everyone told me this is a great thing to happen for history. And once that happened, then my producer, Joseph, said, well, you realize that if we open that door and offer commentary on that, then we're going to have to do this with the whole movie. And you know what? We started editing really right on the first day that the world shut down, which is like March 16th of 2020. So it's almost like we had we had a like we everything that we did before March 15th of 2020, we had to totally just throw off the table and start all over again. And so I'm saying that if the pandemic, if the pandemic didn't happen, chances are would have probably just stuck to like 90% music, Mm. 10%, you know, slight commentary, the same way that they handled it in Aretha Franklin's uh, amazing grace, like little backstage footage, little, you know, but, when when the when the pandemic's uh, sort of around us and there's nothing to do but work on this movie, um, we just took a whole nother direction, which is a, a hell of a thing when you have that much footage. I mean, how did you how did you carve your path to make this? Um, you know, so my producer Joseph told me I should treat this like a DJ gig. So I had spent five months sitting with that 40 hours of footage, it took five months for um, us to find two gentlemen in Long Island to transfer the video footage to digital. And so I spent those five months with a a, a continuous loop of this 40 hour event on in my television, in my office right here, in my studio. I had a hard drive at home that basically just broadcasted to all these television monitors that I had um, at work and at home. And if something gave me goosebumps and really like excited me, I didn't go for the hits. I wanted, I went for an exciting moment. Um, Once I had 30 of those, then that was the beginning of where I felt we have something to, uh, to work with. And the one thing I asked uh, from the Searchlight Hulu people was basically, um, I need, I need a, I need an editor that has some sort of musical sense to him, because I'm going to treat this like a DJ gig where I'm a bob, bob and weave myself in and out of situations. And kind of my example that I wanted to do this with was Public Enemies. Uh, it takes a nation of millions uh, album. Like I wanted, I wanted a movie that felt like that album felt to me back in 1988. It is fascinating. For example, when I, when I watched it for the first time, the way you introduced Stevie wonder is, it's really interesting. You have this, uh, you have, you know, you focus on the, on the audience before we see Stevie wonder. And yeah. for, for a second, for a second, I thought 
he's going to do this the entire movie. And that's really interesting. He's going to focus on the audience <laughs> and not on the artists, which would have been which would have been a hell of a thing. <laughs> well, it, to me, it was it was just too beautiful to pass up because, you know, for me, any any look at the 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 black teenager or the black family or the black person uh, in the 60s, chances are um, you're watching someone being terrorized, someone their charred body being burned there um, because of civil rights movement, uh, fire hosing, dogs attacking them, bloody face being arrested. Um, so for me, I realized that black joy was just as an important component in our civil rights story than the pain that we had to go through. And it was just so beautiful to look at the people watch like, in total, I think we had like over seven hours of just like random camera, you know, audience uh, highlighting. And I really my first my first cut, like you, you're you're seeing like maybe 40 seconds of just people. My first cut, I stayed on that thing for like at least four minutes. Like I didn't want to leave it at all. It's like, all right, let's get to the music. But I, I bet I still maintain I could have made it interesting. Just people watching. I think you could have done. It, uh, you know, yeah. listen, believe me, I'm I'm glad that you you eventually show us, you know, Stevie Wonder and Sly and the Family Stone and all all, all those guys. It's amazing, but it would have been interesting. Maybe there's a maybe there's an alternate version you could stick out in Disney Plus. Um, we are talking about that sort of right now. I can't go into specifics, but okay. Um, we are looking at alternate versions. Amazing, amazing, and uh, and you know any director you hear the the phrase you have to you know kill your babies or kill your we, darlings. We call it demoitis, demoitis. Yeah, it's it was three. My first cut was three hours and and um twenty five minutes, and the first thing that came back to me was, yo, we only want this thing to be ninety minutes. So one, I had to argue to make this two hours. Because uh, they were like, no, under 90 minutes and nothing else. And I was like, there's no way I can cut two hours of this film and it feel complete. So um, there's a lot I left on the floor. Probably the major thing I left on the floor was the comedy portion. It would have taken me like 25 minutes to properly explain um, the, the four very specific styles of comedy we had there. Uh, ventriloquism with uh, Willie Tyler. Uh, Moms Mabley, you know, uh, uh, a black woman who was like one of the top comedians of her day. Pigmeat Markham, uh, the one artist that's played the Apollo Theater more than any artist in the history of that theater. Mm. Um, this is the only documentation of his actual uh, routine. Um, and then there was George Kirby, a guy who imitated everybody from Sammy Davis Jr. to Martin Luther King to Pearl Bailey. And it, it took me like maybe 20 to 25 minutes to really put in context what comedy meant uh, from from its beginnings in, in the late 20s to uh, 1969. So I had to drop that. Um, and I, I dropped a lot of songs like I decided to just go with the magical moments, not the hits. So. You know, people ask like, well, didn't Stevie do my Sharia more or like the hits? And I was like, yes, but he showed the future in Shooby Doo Da Day. And to me, that was more important to show a glimpse of the future more than anything. So, mm. yeah, I, I had to cut about uh, 
an hour and a half worth of, of footage and it was painful. Obviously, you're doing this, as you say, you're, you're reconfiguring the film in the middle of the pandemic. Uh, so is that the point you decided to bring in Talking Heads? And how difficult is it to find people who were still alive, who were there on that day? Because, because this whole project is shrouded in disbelief. Mm. Um, my, talk, my Talking Heads, no one believed them when they said they went to this thing. So the reason why I was so emotional for a lot of them was because it was like, you know, Musa Jackson was like, no one believed me when I told them and I saw this concert. And the thing is, is that I put out a tweet that was sort of like. in in sarcasm, like, hey, do you have that crazy uncle or, or the, your grandparents won't stop talking about the time they allegedly saw Sly on the Family Stone and <laughs> and and the staple singers in Harlem for free wink? Yeah, it didn't happen. Right. And everyone responded like, oh, my God, my grandparents, that's all they talk about. And then he take one photo. We never believe them. So, you know, because I know that a 70 year old won't be if you're a teenager in the 60s, you know, you're you're 70 and 80 years old now. Mm. And I knew they wouldn't be on social media following me. So I, I had to I had to address their their grandkids and their nieces and nephews uh, to get to them. And then, um, you know, that's that's really where it starts. But it's weird. Once the pandemic happened. And we had to go outside like some of those interviews are conducted outside, like Lynn manuel uh, his interviews in the, you know, the, the Heights in, in, in uh, New York and Stevie Wonder is in his backyard and you get a helicopter. <laughs> I the best sound editors and editors in the world, man, because, you know, just to take all the outside noise of, of cars beeping in the Heights, you know, outside in, in Lynn manuels neighborhood. Um, it, it was it was a tough task, but, you know, that's the thing. We we were basically redefining what's the standard now. Like, can you imagine like learning what Zoom was and sending a, a camera crew to Florida to shoot somebody down there and like to direct on your iPhone? It it was crazy, but yeah. we got through it. Absolutely. And just what you said there about people not believing at this thing this this that the festival existed is forms part of the the title and obviously forms part of your reason for for doing it mm-hmm. that the footage sat in a fault for nearly 50 years and no one would years, believe it yeah. and sly and the family stone performed that same summer at woodstock and everyone right. everyone knows about that and it's wild that something so amazing was 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 buried in time so yeah we there's there's an issue called black erasure that Black people are very familiar with in this country in which um, oftentimes things that are important to us um, don't often get allowed in the history books. And this is a prime example. Um, You know, for for me, uh, even when this was brought up to me, I was just I was shrouded in disbelief because I was like, I know everything about music. How come I don't know about this? Like I Google this and. There's nothing online. I asked everyone older than me, do you know about this? And they didn't know about it. And that's, you know, it's a very dangerous thing. So for me, um, this movie is really more than just putting a cool music historical documentary together. This film is really important to me because it was my chance to restore history. And that's that's a luxury that Black people often don't get to uh, indulge in you know to 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 correct a fact 
to 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 right a wrong. And this to me was probably the most intimidating factor of this whole process. Like, am I worthy enough to correct history? And I'm just very happy to say that, you know, I I, I believe that uh, that was achieved, you know, because no one knew about this. And now everyone knows about this. And I I couldn't ask for a better storybook ending than for a film to be trapped in the basement for 50 years, freed and still be as beautiful and as magical as it was 50 years ago. Absolutely. And now it's there on Disney Plus front and center for everyone to see. And it you know, must be getting new eyeballs every single day, which you must be getting feedback Absolutely. all the time. Yes, it is. It, the magic's still going. So Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Well, on that note, I'm glad you go. I just wish you all the best at the Oscars and save the you. knowledge that if you do win as the former musical director of the Oscars, they will not play you off. <laughs> they better not because my speech is going to be long. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Questlove, it's right. been a pleasure. Thanks, man. Thank you. And there you go. That was Questlove. What a guy talking about Summer of Soul or when the revolution could not be televised. Honestly, I could have talked to him for a lot longer about the documentary, but the day job was calling for him. So if you haven't seen Summer of Soul or when revolution could not be televised, you can, of course, do so now. It's out there now on Disney+. Plus. Give it a go. And keep in peel for more Empire Podcast interview specials coming your way. And of course, the regular Empire Podcast debuts every Friday. This week features interviews with Paul Dano, the Riddler himself from the Batman, and David Kep, the legendary screenwriter, who is the writer of Steven Soderbergh's Kimmy. So there you go. But anyway, until we meet again, until then, take care. Thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye.